Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Well, I have enjoyed this week. It has been good, and I just love Bible preaching. I love it when the Word of God is opened up, and then I look at it and learn something I didn't know before, or reminded of something that I forgot. But let me remind you that anytime the Bible is open, God wants to speak to us. One of the famous evangelists of yesteryear, Dr. R.A. Torrey, was a man who God used to see revival hit three continents. He started the first Bible colleges that we, of the modern type, and every Bible college has been modeled, modeled after him. And as he was traveling with his family one time, they stopped at a little small little church and nobody knew who he was. He wasn't planning. He was just trying to make it to a church somewhere on the Lord's day. And the preacher opened up and did the best he could fumbling through. And the rest of his family was kind of squirming and kind of rolling their eyes and doing what most preachers' kids do when someone comes up. But Dr. R.A. Torrey was just into the message. Just listening. Here's a Bible college president. Here's someone who taught the Word of God. And afterwards, his family said, Dad, what are you doing? I mean, you look like you were into the message. He didn't tell you anything new. And he said, listen, if the Bible is open, God wants to speak to me. And I was just listening for what God was instructing me through this man of God. Now, we're so thankful that Brother Summerdorf does have something to give you to say. But just in case, I wanted to give you a reminder that this is not a waste of time. That as long as the Word of God is open, God wants to speak to you. And so I want you with anticipation to look forward to what God has for you. So preacher, come up and open up the Word of God and let God use you. Thank you, Pastor. Amen. Amen. And good evening, church family. Good to have you this evening. And good to have some visitors back as well. What a blessing. And we have some dear friends. We knew these folk all the way back in the Alaska days. Joe and Stephanie and their little son Elliot. And we're just a blessing to have you guys. I did a little turn about take. Said, whoa, great to have you. You guys are in Oshkosh, Wisconsin now. But uh, Stephanie, Miss Stephanie, we knew you when you were just a few years old. And you palled around with our children. And now you're married and a mommy serving the Lord as a family. And that's a blessing. So good to have everybody here tonight. Very quickly, those of you that are here tonight, maybe you, uh, you were here last night. But you need the handout. We have a handout tonight. And you weren't here Tuesday night. This was Tuesday night. This was, help me here. Hold on here. Sunday night. You weren't here Sunday night. If you weren't here Sunday night, raise your hand because we have a handout for you. All right? If you weren't here Sunday night, we want you to have this handout. You know, this is a worksheet for tonight. We started it Sunday night. Then we had the teen rally last night. Good turnout. Good to see many of the teens back tonight. That's a blessing. And then tonight I want to go ahead and, and finish up. Uh, she's handing those out. I had a call from a pastor a few years ago. He was a younger man. I was coming into Georgia for a meeting. And he it was about a month out. His name was Pastor Barry. Our daughter Chandra had been attending that church for a little bit. 
And he said, Brother Dave, he said, the church is looking forward to the meeting here in about a month. And uh, I want you to know what we're doing. We're singing a song every service. We're singing it Sunday morning. We're singing it Sunday night. We're singing it Wednesday night. And he said, this is how the song goes. And he began to sing the song to me. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. I'll say yes. And he just sang me the song there on the telephone. He said, now, preacher, here's what we're doing. We are preparing our hearts to hear from God. And we think in this meeting, God is going to say, tell us something for every one of us. And we want to say yes to him when he speaks to our heart. Now, I heard that and I said, that's a great idea. There's a program. Never heard a Bible college give that one out. And uh, just kind of thought it through. I thought that's a good idea. But I'm going to tell you something. When I came to that little country church, about 35, 40 people, they were all just leaning forward every single message, trying to figure out if that was the message God was speaking to him about, and he wanted them to say yes to him in some area. The spirit of anticipation was unbelievable. So my heart tonight, as we move into this thought, is that you'd be willing to say yes to the Lord in some area, because as Pastor said, when the Word of God is opened, We want to listen to what God has to say. Go to Philippians chapter 2 tonight. Philippians chapter 2. We've been looking at a very obscure individual in your Bible. So obscure. He's only mentioned twice in the Word of God. And when I studied this series of thoughts out, there was not a single message I could go to to glean some information concerning this individual. His name is Epaphroditus. Notice in Philippians 2, in verse number 25, the Spirit of God brings him up for our consideration through the Apostle Paul. And listen to what he says, Philippians 2, 25. He says, yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Now pause for just a moment because Paul is about to ascribe to this obscure individual three incredible titles. In fact, you can scour your whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. You'll find no other individual that is given these three titles by another individual. Look at the titles. He said, yet I suppose it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. Title number one, he says, my brother. Title number two, he calls him a companion in labor. And title number three, he says, and fellow soldier. And then he goes on to say this, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. Look at verse 29. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation. Notice the reason why. Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. Here, this man, Epaphroditus, is referred to, if we could just put it in a package, he's referred to as a fellow brother, a fellow laborer, and a fellow soldier. I want to continue the thought we began Sunday night, Sunday morning, focusing on this man. And it was a question, and the question was this, are you of the household of Epaphroditus? Could it be said tonight, you belong to the household of Epaphroditus? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you this evening for the privilege, the honor to be in your house and with your people. Thank you that we can call you our Father. 
And Lord, we ask in Jesus' name, you, you would bless our time together tonight. Thank you for each one that has come, those that are gathered here. I pray that you would bless your word as you promised, that you would prosper it as it goes forth. Lord, for the one among us who may not even be saved, I pray tonight they'd see their need for Jesus Christ. They'd say yes to him and the offer of eternal life. For each of us that are saved, Lord, help us to understand fully what it means to be a fellow laborer with one another and with you. Bless tonight. Use this thought in every heart, every home represented. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The household of Epaphroditus. Sunday morning we considered the first relationship that Paul enjoyed with this man as he referred to him as a fellow brother. And we noted that was an amazing title Paul gave Epaphroditus. When you consider who these men were and where they came from, Paul, an ultra-Orthodox Jew, raised at the feet of Gamaliel, and on the other side of the stage, a pagan Gentile, whose name literally meant belonging to Aphrodite, a sensual pagan female goddess. I reminded you Sunday morning that men like these for centuries literally had nothing in common. They could have referred to themselves as enemies. They could have called each other adversaries, but they would have never said they were brothers. But one day someone came along and changed the whole formula. His name, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul came to a saving knowledge of Christ and Epaphroditus came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. And where once there were great barriers, even in their approach to God, all of those were done away in the person of Jesus Christ. Each of those now had equal access to the God of this universe. And the boldness to come before his throne through the blood of Jesus Christ. But second of all, the barriers between them were now broken down. And as a Jew and a Gentile, in the person of Jesus Christ, they could worship together in the local assembly. You know, we liken that picture to something. We, we tried to illustrate it. Max, I don't need you up here tonight. You stay there. Everybody knows. But I used Max as an illustration. You know, when you become a fellow brother, fellow sister in the Lord, the very first thing you enter into with other believers is a face-to-face -face relationship. You have social communication. You know, as we look across the congregation tonight, I mean, we got a lot of differences, don't we? Yeah, we got a generation gap. I'll guarantee you that. I'm 59. Some of you are way down below that one. Amen. So we got a generation gap there. I, I had Max up there, and I noted between Max and I, I was a, a Marine, and he never even made the Cub Scouts. Never even got into Cub Scouts in high school, you know. Uh, I noted that uh, there was a generation gap between us. There was a personality gap between Max and I. I'm an alpha male. Max would just as soon hide behind a computer screen. He's just not into being out there. Right, Max? Okay, yeah, there's, that's most you're going to get from him right there. I mean, there's a lot of differences between Max and I. And really, we shouldn't be seeking each other out every night this week to spend time together. But one day, his path crossed with Jesus Christ. One day, my path crossed with Jesus Christ. And the instant that did happen, it changed everything, not only between us and God, but one another. And where we had nothing really in common, now we've got a great common bond. His name is Jesus Christ. We're singing the same song. We're sinners saved by grace. 
We're heading to the same home called heaven. Amen. We belong to the same family. We're in the household of faith. And now we have that face-to-face relationship where we've got someone to talk about a common bond in Jesus Christ. You know, even as I say that tonight, you may be here and say, man, he talks about that, but I'm like outside looking in. Could it be because you've never entered into fellowship with the Father through fellowship with the Son? And therefore, we really don't enjoy fellowship either. You know, my invitation isn't to join a church. My invitation is to make peace with God through Jesus Christ. Amen? And you enter into fellowship with God through fellowship with the Son. All of a sudden, you got something in common with people at one time. Would have been nothing but a stranger. Now you have a common bond in Jesus Christ. Amen? So the first relationship is face-to-face. But then as we grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, we should add to it a relationship. We not only are fellow brothers and sisters, but now we become fellow laborers. And this isn't face-to-face. This one is what? Side by side, yoked together in the harness, serving and laboring for the Lord. And pull your hand out up. Just pull that up because some of you weren't here. Very quickly, fill it in with me. We looked at three principles of service found in the Word of God that should guide you and govern you as a new believer individually. As you serve the Lord. Number one, we saw the first principle of service. And it was this. True greatness. We're on part one, fellow laborers. True greatness, according to our Savior, is not measured by how many serve you. Write that in there. But it is measured by how many you serve. Isn't that good? You know, corporate America tries to go ahead and tell you how big you are based on how many serve you. How many are under you? But you know, the kingdom of heaven doesn't operate that way. Jesus Christ teaches true greatness isn't measured by how many serve you. True greatness is measured by how many you serve. That's principle number one. Principle number two, we found in Galatians 5 and verse 13. I'll quote the verse. For brethren, you've been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Principle two concerning serving the Lord together is this. You and I were saved to serve. Amen? You and I were saved to serve. We weren't saved to sit. We weren't saved to sin. And we weren't saved to be served. Our salvation was the service we got that we did not deserve. Amen? So you and I are saved to serve. And then principle three, this was the toughest one we looked at Sunday night. This was probably the most challenging one. And it's this. You cannot serve the Lord without serving, what was the word? Others. Okay, write that in there. You cannot serve the Lord Without serving others. In the book of Matthew, Jesus said, you know, when I was in prison, you visited me. When I was hungered, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. And the disciples said, well, when, when saw we thee in prison and naked and hungry? And he said, you've done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren. That's a horizontal thing. You've done it unto me, he said. That's a vertical thing. You know, you can sing to the Lord without singing with others. You can worship the Lord without worshiping with others. But you cannot serve the Lord without serving others. Amen. He said, you want to be great? Let him be your your servant, 
your minister. That's a tough one, isn't it? A lot of times we think we go to church and we just show up and that's serving the Lord. That's really not serving the Lord. Now, serving the Lord is when you go across the aisle to go ahead and encourage somebody. That's serving the Lord. You with me? Serving the Lord is when you go ahead and find somebody that maybe needs help after church and you go help them. Uh, you go ahead, teenagers, I tell you, you find somebody elderly that needs their lawn mowed and go mow it for them and don't ask for a penny. That's serving the Lord. Amen? That's serving the Lord. You cannot serve the Lord without serving others. Now, if that's true, and it is, got a question for you. Did you serve the Lord today? Or was it just all about you? You know, something I learned a long time ago, a man or a woman wrapped up in themselves makes a very small package. I'm glad Jesus wasn't wrapped up in himself. Amen. The chief shepherd became a chief servant. He humbled himself, became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. He took upon him the form of a servant. Amen. He's our example. Amen. And so these three individual principles of service and labor to the Lord, every one of us should put in and allow to get into our life as a believer. But flip the page because I want you to go to Romans 12 and I want to look at these three principles of service that should guide and govern you as a Christian concerning your involvement collectively in your service in your local church. Look at what's said in Romans chapter 12. Here comes principle number one in Romans chapter 12. Look at what's said in verse 4. Romans 12 Verse number four. Now we're addressing believers tonight. We're addressing Christians. Those of you that are saved and forgiven. And notice the context. It says in Romans 12 verse four. For as we have many members in one body. Look up for just a moment. Do you know your body has more than one body part? All right. Did you know that? Unless it's Monsters, Inc. You know, then it's just a big eyeball. But, you know, there's more than one body part in your body, all right? So the body has more than one member. Now watch this. And all members have not the same office. They don't do the same thing. So we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Whether prophesy, prophecy, which is preaching, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching. He that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, that's a gift. Let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, etc., etc., etc. Now the context of this is actually the local assembly. But let me just say this. According to that verse, here's what you need to put down. According to that verse... Every single one of us, let me just read the notes so I don't confuse. In the local church, everyone is a gifted individual. Amen. In the local assembly, the Spirit of God has added you to, everyone is a gifted individual. You say, why is that? Could I just say it this way? Because we serve a gift-giving God. That's who he is. Go to Ephesians. Watch this. Watch the book of Ephesians. Go to Ephesians chapter 2 and look at the biggest gift God ever gave. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at what he says here. Ephesians 2. All through Ephesians we see God giving gifts. And look at what he says here in Ephesians 2 and verse number 8. He says this. Ephesians 2 and verse 8. That for by grace are ye saved through faith. 
All right? And then he goes on to say, and that not of yourselves, it is the what? Say the word out loud. Gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know, salvation, eternal life, is a gift that's offered. It cannot be earned. Amen? In fact, if you're trying to do something to impress God and bribe your way into heaven, you're 2,000 years too late. It already got done at Calvary. That's the unspeakable gift, is Jesus Christ. Amen? And so he's a gift-giving God. He gives salvation. He gave the gift of his Son. Look in Ephesians 4 and watch this. I'm going to make this application. In Ephesians chapter 4, look at this in verse number 7. Ephesians 4 verse 7, he says this, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. There is a gift-giving God. Then he says this, Wherefore he saith, when he ascendeth up on high, he led captivity captive, look at here it comes again, and gave gifts unto men. And what did he give? Verse 11. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. For what? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith. Notice, unto a perfect, which means mature, man. Now here's the context. When you see body of Christ, it's not necessarily talking about everybody who's saved. It's talking about a local assembly. You know, when you hear the word church, it's not always talking about everybody who's saved. That's the family of God. All right? How do I know that? Because women are, Scripture literally says, women should keep silence in the church. Well, if the church is everybody who's saved, the day you get saved, ladies, you can't talk again. Amen? Did you catch what I just said? That's a good thought, but it's not biblical. Amen? The church is a local assembly. It's a body. It's assembled body parts, people that have come together collectively to worship the king. Amen? And to do the king's business. The local assembly. Notice here, God gives gifts to the local assembly. He lists a number of them. And in that local church, everyone is a gifted individual. That tells me tonight, you're a gifted individual. You're a gifted individual. You're a gifted individual. Amen? If you're a member of your local church, you're saved, baptized, and added. You're a gifted individual. God has given you gifts and abilities He wants you to invest in others, not simply in self. Amen? Now, there are some gifts God doesn't want. I remember hearing the pastor one time preached on gifts and talents and abilities, and he said at the end of the service, I want all the church members to line up and uh, I want you to go ahead and come up one at a time and whisper in my ear what you think your gift is. And so they begin to line up and whisper in his ear. And along comes this one elderly lady. She came up and she said, came up to the pastor. She said, now, pastor, I believe I have the gift of criticism. Oh, he said, my dear lady, is, is that true? Oh, yes, he said, well, my sister, if that is your gift, I would recommend you do. You would do with it what that man in the New Testament did with his. And she said, what's that? Go out and bury it. Amen. There are some gifts God is not interested in using. We dragged them in from our B.C. days. Habits and attitudes that didn't come from the Lord. They came from someone else. Amen. 
Number one, in the local church, in the body, everyone is a gifted individual. Number two, principle number two, go to 1 Corinthians 12. Look at the second principle concerning laboring and serving the Lord together as believers in a local church. 1 Corinthians 12, look what's said here in verse number 4. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 4 says, For the body is not one member, but many. Verse 18, But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased Him. Notice something there just tonight, every one of you that are here. Notice God set the members in that local assembly. Your church membership isn't even your choice. It's God's. You've got to figure out where He wants you. He sets them as it pleases Him. Now watch what He says now. He says, but now if God set the members, verse 18, every one of the body as it pleased Him, and if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body, and the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body, which seem to be more feeble, they're still necessary. Amen? Principle number two is this. In a body, every part has a purpose. In a body, write that down, every part has a purpose. If that's true tonight, I'm going to address this church family in this body. If you're a gifted individual, that means God has gifted you with abilities and resources to be invested into others for the kingdom's cause. And in a body, if every part has a purpose, here's my question, Riverview Baptist Church, church members, what's yours? What's yours? You say, well, I don't really have a purpose. I just hang out. You know, I don't believe in vestigial organs. You know what those are? All right, that's a, you know, that's the evolutionary explanation for some body part that they don't know what purpose it has, like the appendix. There's no purpose for an appendix, so it must be a leftover something. You know, when you were a piece of goo, climbed out of a slough, landed in a zoo, shazam, now it's you. It's that little leftover stuff through the millions and millions and millions of years that said there was some vestigial organ when, you know, it was, you know, a salamander and now you don't need it. You know, that's called vestigial organs, all right? Evolutionary hocus-pocus, which isn't even science. I talked with one of the guys last night, and I said, that's not even science. It's just a theory. Laws of thermodynamics, now that's science. I don't believe in vestigial organs. I think every part in a body has a purpose, amen? Just not hanging out, doing nothing. I don't believe in vestigial organs in the local church. If the Spirit of God has added you and you're a gifted individual, you're in a body, you're a part, you have purpose. You have purpose. Yeah. I got a phone call uh, from Kimberly shortly after she was married, our oldest daughter Kimberly, up in the Washington, D.C. area. And the Lord was moving them to seek out a church to be uh, members of, her and her husband Pierre, and she said, Dad, pray for us. We're, we're looking for a local church where God wants us. And, and uh, so we prayed, and she would keep us kind of abreast of the search. And a few weeks later, she said, Dad, we're getting real close, but I want to fill you in on what's going on. We have two choices for churches. First of all, there's a church that's about 120, and it's got a whole pile of young families just like ours. 
I mean, uh, just newlyweds or some families that have been married for three years with a couple of kids. And she said, it's just on fire. It's, it's great. Every cylinder is going. It's just a great church. And we really feel this would be a good one. But dad, then there's this other church. And, and it's about 20 people. And the pastor and his wife came about two and a half years ago, and they just put their shoulder to it. And dad, there's a lot of holes, and there's a lot of need. They, 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 they have one part-time pianist, and, and it's just really struggling. And dad, we're, we're praying about what church the Lord would want us to be a member of. And what do you think, just offhand? I said, well, Kimbers, your mom and I have always raised you guys to find a hole and plug it. Find a need and meet it. Don't want to walk into a turnkey deal if there's something else that needs more help out there. It doesn't mean that the turnkey deal isn't the answer and isn't God's will, but it's just how we raised you. And so she said, well, I kind of thought you'd say that. (laughs) But pray for us. We're trying to determine what to do. About a week later, she calls. She said, Dad, I just want to let you know. Thank you for your prayers, but I want to let you know. I think we figured out where God wants us. I said, really? Let me tell you this, Dad. We were sitting down at the church, about 120. We were sitting with that pastor, and we explained to him our dilemma. He said, We'd, we really think this is a great church. It would be so easy to join, but there's a guy over there. And, Pastor, do you have any advice, brother? Do you have any advice? And he said, let me tell you something, he said. Kimberly and Pierre, we want you, but he needs you pointing to that other church. That's huge. He knew what he was kissing goodbye. Pierre knocks down a hundred grand a year. They're tithers and givers. Kimberly brings in fifteen grand on piano lessons. They're sacrificial givers. He's a concert violinist. She's a practically a concert pianist. Kimberly's just gifted. He's kissing talent goodbye. He's kissing money goodbye. He's kissing all goodbye. Yeah, I tell you something, that gets my heart when I hear that. His name's Pastor Bishop, Lighthouse Baptist, Alexandria, Virginia. He's not interested in the camp. He's interested in the kingdom. I share his name because that warmed my heart. You know what he was saying? There's a hole. We got piano players. We got everything we need here. There's the There's the part of the battle that the front is getting rolled up on. And that would meet a great need. You know, tonight, in a body, every part has purpose. Amen? Oh, yeah. And every individual in that body is a gifted individual. They got something to contribute to the cause. Amen? Let me ask these questions. Here's, this is a big question. If you're viewing online, this is a question you need to ask as well. If you left your local church, would you leave a hole? If you left your local church, would a ministry falter? If you left your local church, would your absence be felt? If you as a believer left your local church, could the church keep operating and functioning smoothly without you? Let me tell you, You say, well, I I don't have a lot to do. Let me tell you, my big toe leaves, my body's not going to function as smoothly as it once did. Amen? You should leave a hole. Your absence should be felt. It should be. That's what happens with functioning body parts. 
Amen. Now, there's time parts are sick. There's time that, you know, there's needs there. I'm not dismissing that. But every one of you is a gifted individual. And the Holy Spirit of God has set you, set you guys down in Oshkosh in an assembly. Set you all here in this one. Sweetheart, I don't know what church you're a member of. Not here. But if you're a member of local, set you in that church. Kendra, Kendall, Kendall. You're a gifted individual. Every part has purpose. What's yours? That's it. That's a principle of serving in a local church. Amen? And then thirdly, give you the last one. The third one is this. Little is much when God is in it. Little is much when God is in it. Two things I want you to recognize as you and I are called to labor and serve the Lord together. Don't miss your ministry by trying to be someone else. Amen? I'm going to say that again. Don't miss your ministry by trying to be someone else. I want to say it this way. I cannot do your ministry the way God has called and equipped you to do your ministry. Amen? I can't do that. But you can't do my ministry the way God has called and equipped me to do my ministry. Don't miss your ministry by trying to be someone else. Be who God called you to be. Meet the need God called you to meet. And be content right there. Amen? But second of all, here's an even better thought. Don't minimize your ministry by comparing it to someone else. You know, as, as we're in this thought tonight, don't minimize your ministry by trying to compare it to someone else. Well, I'll come into churches, and this is what I'll hear sometimes. I'll talk, to, maybe I'll be talking to a lady, and I'll say, uh, Sis, what, what, uh, what ministries do you have here? And I'm that kind of guy. I'll ask that. Because if I, I think if you're saved, you should be serving. You should find a place to plug in and serve. And so I'll say, what kind of ministry, what, what's your ministries here? And I'll hear this. I'll hear this sometimes. Oh, I just keep the nursery. You know, when I hear that, you know what I wanted to go? I just keep the nursery? Are you kidding me? That's like the Tet Offensive in Vietnam. Are you kidding me? Just keep the nursery? I mean, you, you got to be on antidepressants to keep the nursery. You know, I mean, that's an unbelievable place. The little devils that wander through that place. You know what I'm saying? But have you ever heard that? I've heard, oh, I just keep the nursery. I said, are you kidding me? I hear a guy say to me, well, I'm just the assistant pastor. Just the assistant pastor. What an incredible position, second man. Being a blessing to the first man. Wow, that's a big deal. Oh, I'm just the sound man. Just the sound man. You know how much havoc Max could wreak on this whole, this whole service if he got an attitude and, and just said, well, I'm just the sound man. I'm not going to, yeah, I'll just push with that. Who cares? Y'all with me? What do you, why do you minimize your ministry that way? Why, why do you do that? And sometimes it's our problem in our camp. We think just the important body parts are the visible, powerful leadership body parts. Let me say this. I believe the nursery worker doing what God called her to do is equally as valuable and as important as the pastor standing behind the pulpit. I happen to believe that. 
That is not feigned humility. That's a body part. You say, but, but the pa- pastor is just a body part. Amen? He's just a body part. He's not the MVP. Jesus is the MVP. He's just one of many on a team. Y'all with me? Little as much when God is in it. Don't minimize your ministry by comparing it to someone else's. Watch this. Go to Matthew. Watch this teachable moment here in the book of Matthew. I wrote this down. Maybe you want to jot this in your notes. Go to Matthew 25. Everybody is somebody in the body. You can write that down. Everybody is somebody in the body. You were saved for purpose. God did not make a mistake when he saved you. And God did not make a mistake when he put you in a local church to serve him. And the local church is God's ordained institution for spiritual maturity. That's where you mature. I've never met in, 20, in 40 years of being saved, I've never met a Christian solid, firing on every cylinder, being everything they ought to be, being mature like they should be, outside of the local church. I've never met them. If they're out there, I've never met them. And you say, well, oh, there are people in that church that have issues. Yeah, really, is that right? Welcome to family. You know, I had one of these most profound little moments. I was in Prescott, Arizona about a year ago. Pastor Mark Hoffer, I don't know if you ever met him. He got a good little work going there. That work's growing. It's, it's doing well. And I go to a bagel shop to have a bagel. I love eating bagels and food and drinking coffee. And that's my Mars Hill. I, that's where I like to give tracks out is coffee shops, you know. Uh, Panera, Starbucks. I mean, we had a great visit, 25-minute visit today in Panera with a lost Vietnam veteran. A wonderful time. But I'm there, and I noticed a family sitting over there, and they appeared to be homeschoolers. There were four kids, dad and mom. It was on a Monday. I thought, wow. And boy, those kids were behaved and doing their school too older, too younger. And so on a whim, I just walked over there. And you know me, I'm so antisocial. And I just walked over there, and I said, uh, y'all homeschoolers? Oh, yeah, yeah. I said, I just want to commend you. Good job. My wife and I raised six of them, and uh, we homeschooled all six. They're doing well. I just want to encourage you to do that. I said that to dad in front of his kids, because, you know, a lot of times kids think their parents are wacky when they're homeschooling, you know. So I just wanted the kids to hear that. As they got ready to leave a half hour later, the guy came over to me. He said, thank you. Thank you for going ahead and... Just stopping by. He said, by the way, my name's so-and-so. I said, well, I'm David Summer. He said, what you in town for? I said, I'm a traveling minister. I said, here's my card. I'm speaking at a church over here. and I think it's Liberty Baptist. I think that's Hoffer's Church, Liberty Baptist. And I just gave him my card. Well, the next night, my phone rings. Next day, he said, hey, can we get together? Sure. Where do you want to meet? I said, I'm for bagels again. Let's do it. And so we met there the following day. He sits down, and this is what he said to me. He said, I've been saved for 27 years, but I've never been what I should be. I've had struggles. I know the Lord is my Savior. I know I'm going to heaven. He said, and for the first time in my life, I'm right on the cusp of joining a church and becoming a church member. He said, what do you think of that? I said, well, that's interesting you mentioned that because I think you're making a good choice. But my question is, how did you go for 27 years and not be a church member? 
I just asked him, you know, what, what drove that? He's a very, very upfront guy. And he said, you know, early in my Christianity, I'd been visiting a church and there's just some bad things happened. And so I just said, whoa, man, I don't want anything to do with that. And could we all, we could all say amen, right? The face of the church is face of a sinner. I mean, sinners saved by grace with baggage that goes with that. And that's the way it is. I said, so, you know, I said, you know, I totally understand that. I said, but I noticed you got a wedding ring. You're wearing a wedding ring. He said, yes, sir. How long have you been married? He said, oh, about 25 years. I said, wrong. I said, you know, early in your teenage years, did you ever see bad things happen in a marriage? He said, oh, yeah. Yeah, some bad stuff, man. Some in my home, some out of my home. I said, and yet you got married. Even though you saw all those bad things happen, you still chose to honor the institution of marriage and the home. Why? He said, because I knew it was right. So let me tell you something. The home is God's ordained institution for raising physical children. All right? You all with me? You don't get birthed into this world, slung out in the street, and figure it out, boss man. Suck it up, buttercup. See if you survive. That doesn't happen that way. Little Elliot has a mom and a dad. Amen? Our six children, mom and a dad. The home, the institution of the family. God ordained. Just because there's bad marriages doesn't mean marriage is bad. Amen? You know what God's ordained institution is for spiritual maturity? Local church. Local church. It's a God-blessed, God-ordained organism and institution. And just because there are sometimes bad people in a church doesn't mean church is bad. Amen? The institution is God's way. It's where you learn to forgive. It's where you learn to work together. It's you learn to go ahead and humble yourself. You learn to go ahead and taste mercy and forgiveness from others. Learn how to cooperate together, lifting up the name of the king. No big eyes, no little use. It's all about him. Never, never, never allow a bad experience to discard a good institution. Amen? Yeah. And so God wants you, if you're saved, to be in a local church. That wasn't in my notes, but I just felt I ought to say that, all right? But here's what I want to bring up. Go to Matthew 25. Watch this. Everybody's somebody in the body. And look at it in a local church. Just look at this in Matthew 25, this principle of serving and investing what God has gifted you with. In Matthew 25, look at what's said here. In Matthew 25 and verse 14. Remember, don't miss your ministry by trying to be somebody else, but don't minimize your ministry by comparing it to somebody else. Notice what's said here in Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, in verse number 14, the Bible says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. Now watch how he does this. Unto one he gave five talents. All right? To another individual he gave how many? Two. And to another, simply one. How did he disperse them? To every man according to his several ability. Notice he gave these things according to their abilities and straightway took his journey. Write these things down very quickly. Number one, notice 
They were his goods that he gave, not someone else's. Number two, he gave them to his servants, not someone else's servants. Amen? Remember, we serve a gift-giving God. And the day you trust Christ as Savior and receive the gift of eternal life, God has gifted you with things. They're His goods, not yours. You've got a voice and you can sing. God gave you that voice. Amen? You've got money you can give. God gave you that money. You with me? Don't say your power and the might of your strength did that. Deuteronomy 8. No, 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 no. God giveth thee power to get wealth. I had to learn that as a young businessman. He gifts you with things. They're his goods. He gives them to his servants. Now watch this. The responsibilities were given according to their abilities. The responsibilities were given according to their abilities. What does that mean? In pilot terms, that's useful load. What the aircraft can carry. All right? Number four. The amount was not the issue. That was not the issue. Number five, no servant was given nothing. That's a big deal. I mean, Christians that say, I say to them, well, what's your ministry here? Well, I, I, I don't have a ministry. I, I can't do anything. Really, no servant was given nothing. But one servant did nothing with what he was given. Amen. That's big. The amount wasn't the issue. Five, two, and one, that wasn't the issue. No servant was given nothing. But one servant did nothing with what God had given him. And what did God do when that one servant did nothing with what God gave him? What did he do? He took that talent and he gave it to someone else. You ever heard the old saying, use it or lose it? Use it or lose it. You know, if you're a functioning body part in your local church, if you're in there, he saved and added you for purpose. Let me say this, and there's things that you could invest. You say, I'm just not going to do it. You know what? You are not going to hold up God's program. He'll find someone else to do what he had called you to do. It may take a little time, but I've learned sometimes the person that should have been singing doesn't want to sing. God has someone else sing who can't sing. And people still get blessed. Amen. Amen? I've learned that. I've learned that. You're looking at your pastor when I said that. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I remember when the children left, people asked me, how'd the offerings go after your kids left? I said, they actually went up. They said, what? Because they were an amazing singing group. How'd that happen? I said, well, I offered to sing in their place, and they would pay me not to. So... <laughs> There's a thought, preacher. There's a thought. <laughs> you know, tonight, in this serving and laboring for the Lord in your local church, you need to recognize little as much when God is in it. I look at who we are individually, and every one of us has a different useful load, don't we? And if we're not careful, we compare ourselves among ourselves, and we're not wise. Sometimes as preachers will do that. Man, look at that big ministry. And look at what that preacher's doing. And look at my little ministry. You know, I need to remind you, and, and Pastor Scott, you know this, but I'm going to say it out loud just for everybody to see. How do you know that guy with the big ministry is really running the load he could carry? Maybe he could do a lot more, but he's running half full. 
God has never dealt in numerical amount. He always deals in percentages. That's how the widow's mites trump the Pharisees' millions. She did 100%. She gave 100%. And they tipped God with a big amount with a little percent. And God said she put in more. God always deals in percentages. Amen. I'm a pilot. Useful load works pretty easily. You know what the useful load of a 747 is? Who knows what a big jumbo jet is? That big four-engine thing. All right. You know what the useful load of a 747 is? <laughs> You'll like this. It's 248,000 pounds. That's 126 cars. That thing can carry 248,000 pounds. You know what the useful load of a Piper Super Cub is? Little two-seat buzz bomb? 767 pounds. Now, if you're not careful, you'll look at that 747 when it throttles up. You go, whoa, man, that's it, man. That's it, boy, that's the one. And then the little super cup goes by and you go, yee. But you know there's some things a super cup can do the 747 can't. For instance, you don't want to crop dust with a 747. You'll pick the corn and shell it all and pop it all at the same time. Amen? Now, here's the thing. In pilot terms, you know who the best pilot is? The one who is totally loaded to capacity. The Super Cub at 800 pounds is more efficient than a 747 at 100,000 pounds. Because a 747 could be doing more and it's not. And the Super Cub is maxed. You with me? What's your useful load? It varies. There's five talent useful loads, two talent useful loads, one talent. The question is, are you using what God gave you to the max ability for Him? Or are you just hiding what God gave you in this filthy old world? That's sad. One day you wish you'd invested in something higher than self. Amen? Oh, yeah. And that's where joy comes from. It comes from giving, not taking. Now, watch this. Go back. I want you to look at something here. Look with me in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Go back there. I want to close with this. Because in 1 Corinthians 12, as we look at this last thought of not minimizing your ministry by comparing it to someone else, look at the little statement the Spirit of God says here in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse number 21. Look at what he says, 1 Corinthians 12, 21. He says, And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. 1 Corinthians 12, 21. Now watch verse 22. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble. They just don't look like they have a lot of purpose. They're not five talent individuals. They're not 747s. They're just these little aircraft. They seem to be feeble. Yet what are they? They are still necessary. Little is much when God is in it. Don't you despise what you have that God has gifted you and He wants you to invest in others in His kingdom. Don't despise the day of little things. I wish you could come to Alaska and visit. 
our home church, our former home church, Mana Baptist Church. Our pastor was Pastor Travis Watson. When you visit Mana Baptist Church, not a big church, we're probably, it's probably grown now to about 100, but when I was there, it was 19 or 18 when we first started. And we saw it go up into the 60s, 70s, maybe hit 80 once or twice. But of all the functioning body parts, of all the individuals in that assembly, there's one that when you meet him, you would say, there's no way God could use this kid. His name is Paul Sparts. Paul is a Down syndrome boy. The day Paul was born, and his mom and dad found out they had what the world would call a handicapped child, a Down syndrome boy, Paul's daddy divorced Paul's mom, Judy, and fled to Minnesota and left the family and left Judy to raise her boy by herself. Wasn't right. It was the wrong thing to do, but that's what he did. And when you see Paul Sparks, you, you look at Paul, and I'm going to tell you, if you put him in aviation terms, he looks like a Cessna that had a crash landing, okay? I mean, he's got a dinged-up prop, half the landing gear is out. He doesn't even look airworthy, you know? But do not despise the day of little things. For Paul Sparks, even to this day, I just saw him this summer, has three incredible ministries at Manna Baptist Church in, North, in, in, uh, in Palmer, Alaska. Ministry number one... Paul Sparks is the official doorkeeper at that church house. You cannot get into the church without being greeted by Paul Sparks. Now, if you're a visitor, and, and if you were to watch Paul, he paces like a sentry. He paces at the door. He, he's got the same suit, coat, same tie, same shirt, same trousers every Sunday. And he paces and watches. And when you come, if you come there as a visitor, he'll go, Welcome to Man Baptist Church, sir. Welcome to Man Baptist Church, ma'am. And he'll hold the door and let you in. If he knows you and you're a man, he'll go, Welcome to Man Baptist Church, Brother Dave. And then he'll go ahead and give you Paul Sparks' chiropractic bear hug. He'll go ahead and set your spine for you. Go ahead. He'll do it for free. Set you down and let you in. I remember the first year we came back. That was the year we did the tent meeting up there in the North Pole area. You helped them kids set that thing up. I, were you helping set that tent? I thought I remember that. But I, I, we come into our church. We hadn't been there for a year. We'd been out on the road for a year. As we pull in with the motorhome, I tell Deb, I said, is Paul on patrol? And she looks, oh, he's there. I go, okay, tell him I'll be coming, you know. And so here go the kids. Six kids run in, Mrs. Summerdorf, and I'm coming. Paul's watching. All of a sudden, he sees me. Hadn't seen me for a year. Brother Dave! Brother Dave! Boy, all excited, you know. I said, hey, Paul, how you doing? Oh, good. He says, oh, good to see you. And he draws me in, and it's the Rice Krispie commercial. You know, snap, crackle, pop. He just, they're strong, you know. Then he set me down, and then he did this. Look what Coach gave me. Look what Coach gave me. Now, Coach was Pastor Watson. I could never break Paul from calling him Coach because he coached the boys' basketball team. This is Pastor Watson, Paul. Okay, he's in the coach, Pastor Watson. Coach. He just, he loved calling him coach. Look what coach gave me. And there he had from Valley Trophy a name badge. Said Paul Sparks, doorkeeper, Manabaptist Church. Ministry number one. From a Down syndrome boy. Fourth grade education. That's all mentally he'll ever be. He's about 50 years old right now. Is that right, Mom? About 50. Ministry number two, 
Paul on Wednesday nights was given the responsibility to take the offering. And here's how Paul takes the offering on a Wednesday night. Coach would always coach, would always ask him to pray. He would pray. And then as the music played, Mrs. Watson played the music, Paul would take the offering. This is how he did it. He'd go like this. He wouldn't move till you put something in there. It's an offering. And he'd go from person to person and fleece them. We got more on Wednesday nights than we did Sunday nights. Because Paul would not, he'd shame you. If you were a visitor and all you had was a $100 bill, he'd shame you out of your $100 bill. He wouldn't go till he got that thing. And he wouldn't take lint either. I mean, that was ministry number two. It's an offering. You're supposed to give. That's how Paul thought. But ministry number three, my, 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 that's the one. This little feeble body part became so necessary. You see, in all the years that we were members of Man of Baptist Church, we never had an empty altar at invitation time if Paul was in the service. They're just tender-hearted. It didn't matter what you preached on. Paul would respond. You preach on going ahead and surrendering to the ministry. Paul's up there. You preach on being a good wife. Paul's up there. <laughs> didn't matter. I mean, the music's playing. You know, Steph, you played the invitation. The music's playing. Paul, just the tenderness, just felt like he had to come up. And he would go ahead and he'd come up and he'd park right there, right in the middle. And he'd get down. Now come over here. He'd get down on one knee just like this. He'd put his little fist right up to his head and he'd start praying. And then he'd look up to coach. He'd look up to Pastor Watson because he wanted Brother Watson to pray with him. And so he'd do this. Like that. And sometimes Brother Watson was working with somebody. I was the song leader. And so I would go over and put an arm around Paul and I'd say, Paul, you want to pray? Yes, Brother Dave. I said, you go ahead and pray, Paul. And his prayer was the same. I, can, I could repeat it practically word for word. He said, Dear Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving Mom. Please save Dad. I love you. I love Mom. I love Coach. In Jesus' name, amen. That was his prayer. Yeah, it's not a big deal if somebody says, Really? Man, I've held invitations for years and years and years, whether a song leader or a preacher. And I've watched people want to get help sometimes, but they're a little proud. They don't want to break the ice and just come up. And I've often thought, I wonder how many people are on that kid's account because he broke the ice and just made it easy for somebody to step out and follow him forward. We were never a big church. We banned brothers. We started with just a handful. Just became a big handful. And we had a reunion a few years later. We'd all scattered to different places. We all happened to be in Alaska at the same time. The phone lines buzzed. So let's go meet at Lake Lucille, Wasilla. Let's have us, let's Dutch our wives. Let's take them out. Let's reminisce. And we did bunch of little old nobodies just serving a great God. You know who we talked about more than anybody else other than our Savior? A little Down syndrome boy that had every excuse in the world 
and every reason not to serve God. He got our heart. He took away our excuses. He showed us the way. I saw him this last summer. <laughs> there he was posted. He's put on a lot of weight. His hair's falling out in clumps. They usually don't live that long. Paul's over 50 now. We'll be back in two more years, Lord willing. I'd sure like to see Paul one more time. And when I do, and I preach that message, I promise you, we will not have an empty altar. That kid will be there. And it'll be the great honor and privilege to put an arm around him and say, Hey, Paul, you want me to pray? You want to pray? His daddy died two years ago. Don't know if he ever got saved. If any kid's prayer would have been heard, it ought to have been Paul's. No idea. But I guess what I'm saying to you tonight is if you're saved, God called you to serve. And don't minimize your ministry and say it's not valuable. Little is much when God is in it. What he's gifted you with don't go bury it in your life, this world, sin. Go ahead and invest it in the kingdom's cause. You'll receive a lot of joy. And you'll be a blessing to so, so many. Amen? She had done what she could. The epitaph on Fanny Crosby's tombstone. She had done what she could. You do what you can with what God gave you. Amen? What a privilege to serve this King. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 920- Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.